Battle English at WeSpeakEnglish.com, where the pen is mightier and the language is the true battleground. There will be three rounds. Round one is critique combat. Round two is the grammar gauntlet. Round three is the lesson showdown. Remember, this is a fun, friendly, educational battle. Discussion of topics, questions, and answers is encouraged. And for everyone watching at home, you can learn more about Battle English at wespeakenglish.com. In today's battle, we have Jeff, aka Fluent American, aka the Flutenant, taking on Daniel Thunder from Down Under. The judges of today's battle are Jennifer from English with Jennifer and Christopher Huntley, Chris Americos. Grammar Gauntlet. Are you ready to start round two? In this round, we'll ask you questions about the English language. You'll have 10 seconds to think about your answer and give your response. Remember, this round is focused on accuracy and correctness. Try to use rule-based explanations. All right, guys, here's the first. You're not going to know your left from your right in that kind of situation. Your, I'd say here is incorrect. You need the apostrophe RE here. You are not going um, to be correct. Going, uh, they put it together there. Again, this is natural speech. We'd normally say this. We don't usually write it going. You are not going to uh, know should be the correct way it's written left from right in that kind of situation. It should be written um, kind and then a new word of situation. That's the way it should be written. But this is very natural, um, especially in speaking. And a lot of people say this, a lot of people write this in text messages this type of uh, speech would be acceptable in a text message, uh, but grammatically um, incorrect. Those points that I pointed out to you, you would never write that down in a job interview or an essay or anything like that. It'd be very incorrect. Uh, so I see three mistakes there, Chris, basically. Jeff, any rebuttal? No, Leslo, you're your with the apostrophe RE. Um, going to versus gonna. No, you're left from your right in that kind of versus kind of uh, um, situation. Just other possibilities, too. You could use more parallel structure if you wanted. Like instead, no, you're left from your right. You could also say you're not going to know left from right um, or you're left from right or things like that. Just some other things you could play around with if you wanted to. But the, f the first points are the more major ones. All right. We can go to the second. In that case, I suggest you to talk with the person and try finding a compromise. So we have some subjunctive. Look at that. Uh, also some punctuation things. So in that case, comma, I suggest you talk, which talk should be treated as a base verb. I'm going to suggest other verbs like that would be like recommend or like demand and things like that. Um, you talk with the person and try uh, finding a compromise. Those are the big things that jump out at me. Daniel, anything to say or add here? Yeah, I'd put the comma after in that case, the comma goes in writing to be really strict here. I suggest you talk without the preposition to would be the correct way. Although people can sometimes say this in speech because you use um, with communication to talk, to listen, with movement to go to travel. 
So here um, it works. It sounds okay in speech to talk. But the correct way, again, in that case, I suggest you talk with the person and try finding a compromise. So yeah, that's the main mistake I see there. Um, I think the person's confusing the possibilities. First, I love that subjunctive is brought in because that would be the first option to fix this. But there is an option to play around choosing between infinitives and gerunds. So I don't see to talk as a preposition. I see that as a possible infinitive. The person was thinking, hey, I'll stick an infinitive in there. But what would be the alternative with a gerund? Does anyone know? In that case, I suggest talking. Talking. Aha. Yes, that is mm. an alternative. I suggest talking. And if we jump back mm. to Jeff, you, who was talking about parallel structure before, then what kind of parallel structure would we have, Jeff? It's like talking with the person and trying to find the compromise. Aha. Trying to find. So I'm going to throw yeah. it back to Daniel. I'm going to push you guys a little further. What's the difference between try finding and trying to find? I don't know. If, if honestly, I'm going to be really honest here. If, if a student asked me that question, I would say there's no difference. I'd Could there be? I'd say Chris is saying yes. Well, let's, let's, let's okay, give Jeff us, a chance. Chris. Wait, wait, wait let's throw it back Chris. to Jeff. Jeff? No, okay, Jeff. You know, it's compared to like a lot of the other verbs, like forget or remember, like gerund yeah. versus infinitive, like the differences in gerund and infinitive for try are so much slighter. They are. Um, so, <laughs> It has to do with like, you know, possibility versus, I'll be honest, I forget what the other one is, but there, yes, technically there is a slight difference, but I think for intents and purposes and like most situations, yeah, I don't want to say they're interchangeable, but the, the difference in meaning isn't going to be enough that people are going to be confused or misinterpret what you're saying. Good point. Like Good that. point. That it, there is a subtle difference. It's not usually going to create a misunderstanding but technically there is a little nuance right chris yeah yeah i would say like uh, i've had this now. come yeah. up before and i usually explain it that try plus gerund is when you try something for the first time and try plus infinitive is when you use your energy or strength and actually other languages ha will translate that as separate verbs because those are actually two different meanings so that's that's usually how I explained it. If you have a stain on your shirt, you can try using salt or try using club soda. You're experimenting to get it out. Well, I tried to get it out and it didn't work. You made an attempt and you were not successful. So I often think about try plus infinitive as an attempt and try plus gerund as like, oh, you're kind of testing things, experimenting. Little cool. subtle difference. All right, here's another one. It is without a doubt relentless and that the pace is unforgiving, and there is a constant push to go and continue going. Just looking at this at first glance, I'm having difficulty finding a mistake or a problem here. What I'm thinking I could take out is that, and the, and the phrase would still make sense. It is without a doubt relentless in the pace is unforgiving. This one's got me a bit stumped, to be honest. You know, not all sentences have mistakes. So if okay. you don't find a mistake, you can. Okay. Yeah. Do you yeah, like it? I'm, I'm a, do I like the phrase you're asking? Yes, I do. Yeah. Persistence, continue, never give up. Definitely. Great phrase. <laughs> all right, Jeff, what do you have to say? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm personally okay with the sentence. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. There's going to be people that write it with commas. Like, it, it is comma without a doubt, comma relentless, and that pissed on forgiving. But let's be honest. I mean, most native speakers don't even know how to use commas, so it's not <laughs> a big deal. I, I'm, I'm personally okay with the sentence. We, I haven't prepared anything for this beforehand either, so I'm just looking at it now. And um, the only thing that really bothers me here is the phrase, in that. Uh, this this is the first thing that really jumps out of me. And that, I don't like the comma there, but um, I, I don't like commas in general. So, uh, but in that, it is without a doubt relentless in that the, like, I would just remove that. Uh, I would remove in, I would say it is without a doubt relentless that the pace is unforgiving and there is a constant push to go and continue going. I'd probably take out that word in I think we're moving in the right direction of things need to be taken out. What bothers you? Sometimes it's not incorrect at all. There's not a single grammatical mistake. There's nothing wrong with it. You can write it that way. But advanced students um, often have to work on wordiness and repetition, redundancy. If you really want to write at a polished level, um, then you have to start looking at the little things like that. So there's not a single grammatical mistake here. The question is, could it be worded better? Could it be more concise? So there's my challenge for you. I personally feel it's fine. I think it's a lot rather wordy. It's a mouthful. <laughs> it's probably hard to read the first time. You probably had to read it more than once. And that's probably because there's a lot in there. So here's my second follow-up challenge is, could you rephrase it and make it a little bit more concise for me? Just what's the person saying? Um, it's 100% uh, very difficult. And it's, uh, you just have to keep going, basically. Yeah. Okay. Jeff, yeah. would you give a variation? Yeah. I mean, I think this is a case where taking longer sentences, shortening them either into smaller sentences or using things like, the dreaded semicolon or something like that, you know, like is it without a doubt relentless semicolon, the pace is unforgiving and there's a constant push to go continue going, you know, something like that could make it a little bit more concise. The semicolon would take out in that, which kind of bothers all of us. And that is a wordy little structure. You don't really need it. Could we yeah. also like to go and continue going is also repetitious. You could, again, and repetition can be used for emphasis and dramatic purposes, but you could also say, undoubtedly the pace is relentless and unforgiving, yeah. period. Yeah, I'd enough, probably... enough said. <laughs> like, yeah. Relentless means it's like it's constantly pushing you. Um, or maybe you don't have to choose both. You could choose between relentless and unforgiving. But I, I think there's some redundancy in this statement. Definitely. That was a great example. OK. All right. Here's another statement for you. We wish to express our admirations for your efforts are most commendable. See, I'll just keep it up. I think I'll read it again to give you a little hint. We wish to express our admirations for your efforts are most commendable. See, I'll just keep it up. So a lot of different ideas here. So it's turning into a run-on sentence unintentionally. So we do, I think we do need some punctuation to step in. Um, there's also some grammar things like, uh, um, we wish to express our admiration, singular, um, probably comma, for your effort is most commendable. I would personally probably use a period there. Um, so, comma, 
just keep it up. Though I will say that context would be really helpful here because if this is something that's a little bit more formal, then that last part is uh, leading, kind of trending more informal. So if, if you're trying to maintain the same tone, because stylistically right now, it's a little bit, a little bit jarring because it's kind of jumping a bit in tone and style. So, so instead of ending, so you all just keep it up. You're probably ending at something more like, so our, your efforts most commendable. Um, we look forward to your continued excellence or, or something, something like that, I think would be a little bit more fitting for the, uh, the general tone here. I'm still trying to figure out how Jennifer got in my email inbox because I swear I've gotten this before. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> it looks exactly like an email that keeps coming to me every day in my in, inbox. <laughs> Daniel, any anything to add here? Two, two things I can say. Uh, we wish to express our admirations for your efforts. After that, I kind of are most commendable. You could, we wish to express our admirations for your efforts. And you could stop it there. It changes when it says our most commendable. It kind of drags it out there. If you can make it shorter, I'm, I'm just thinking it would be more effective the phrase, we wish to express our admirations for your efforts. And then you could continue on with um, another phrase, for example, a full stop there. Um, obviously, so you all just keep it, um, so you all just keep it up. This is kind of like very informal colloquial language. So um, if I was making a speech, I'd recommend against using that to be, it could turn a few heads, people could judge you in a different way. So I wouldn't use that in a speech, for example. Um, so you all continue doing a great job would be much better to say in a speech, for example, uh, like I said, it's a little, it's straight talk colloquial. So I think, you, you know, I think like if we're thinking like written email, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think the one place where something like this actually could work actually would be a speech because speeches, you're, you're relying on contrast. American English loves contrast. We need things to stand out. So your contrast here would be going from that formal speech to something that's more informal and casual. That's, that's how he's the person presenting can start to establish more of that relationship with that audience. It needs to be done right. You need to write delivery. You know, like we wish to express our admiration for your effort. It's been super commendable, guys. So you all just keep it up. You know, you're doing great. You know, like some, something like that, I think, can be done well, depending on the right situation. So I'm just a little hesitant to say speech. No, I think, I think in some ways action can be a device that brings your audience forward with you instead of creating distance, like I am the speaker, you listen to me and distance. I love that you guys are bringing context. Context is key. Is this written? Is it spoken? What is it appropriate for? And if we put it in a written, written context, we're, we're somewhat hesitant to keep that last line in. But if we shift it to a spoken context, um, it could be used. The, the final line could switch as Jeff said, to that informal delivery. Final challenge with this one, the writer could be confusing the two different uses of the of word course. for. How could the person be confusing for? Because there is more than one way to understand what the person intended. Remember, there's more than one use of for. Hint, hint, fanboys. <laughs> what if I put a comma before the word 
for and after admirations? Mm, better. I like why, that better. why, Daniel? Why does it make sense now? With one idea, we wish I, to express our admirations. Stop. For your, for your efforts are most commendable. It's, it's breaking up the two ideas now. It's clearer. And what um, does form mean? makes more sense. What's the meaning or purpose of for if we use it as a conjunction? Because. Exactly. Like we, we always rely on the and, but, so, or as the common ones. But um, remember that for and yet are a little more formal conjunctions, um, especially mm -hmm. if we're going for that more formal tone. We wish to express our admiration for your efforts are most commendable. You know, that tone. So y'all just keep it up. So it's possible. Yeah. And I like how the intonation also changes because when you start to pronounce it that way, then you have to make that, like Jeff was saying, thought group, that, that group of words uh, for your efforts. You if you don't say it that way, then it sounds like it's the other meaning of for, right? Like for your efforts. But we have, what, yeah. Admiration for what versus for as a conjunction, adding on another independent clause. And that we can debate back and forth. We don't have enough context to determine whether effort singular, efforts plural is appropriate, but <laughs> super. All right, put on your thinking caps. Here's a statement. While driving to work, my car started making a terrible noise. I had to pull over. Okay, so we have this, we have this some some participle issues. Your um your car. I mean, I guess technically your car is driving, but you're the one doing the driving, not your car. Um, so like, um, you, you'd probably have to say while I was driving to work, my car started, because um, that phrase isn't technically describing car exactly. Um, this car started making a terrible noise. Comma doesn't work, um, because you you have another independent clause there, so you've you have some options, which is nice. Uh, you can go semicolon or you can go period. Um, I probably opt for period myself, but it's your choice. Um, those are the only things that jump out at me right now. Yeah, I agree with Jeff. I would never say um, period there, but I'd, I'd say full stop. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I don't see a mistake. If a student asks me what's the mistake here, I would say to them there's no mistake. While driving to work, my car started making a terrible noise. I had to pull over. It seems fine to me. I've got no real comment. Like Jeff said, you could put a full, full stop after noise to make it nice and simple, but that's about it. That's all I've got, guys. Yeah. All right. I think we're back into that area of what is effective communication and you know sometimes the so-called little mistakes actually don't affect the intended meaning you know I, I you know that I was driving to work it wasn't and of course we have self-driving cars by the way so <laughs> maybe we can get into that but um it, you know but technically you know the subjects of a reduced clause and the main clause have to match for it to be fully logical um final uh, challenge here though what if I do want all three parts to be connected in one long sentence can you suggest something I can insert after the second comma you could just say and, mm -hmm. and I had to pull over instead of the comma. Yep. Or, or then, the, yeah. sorry. I accept and. 
There's one more okay. that I would accept. <laughs> I wouldn't accept then. Okay. As a result, what did you do? Yeah, I mean, you could, so would be a common way, especially hearing it. Uh, right. of course, so, so or and, yeah. And I think that's another common one. If we're talking about writing, you want to have um, real strong writing. Just remember then is not a member of the fanboys. <laughs> so it's not a conjunction. We don't do comma then, comma and then could work. Super. Awesome. Well, now let's get to the sixth sentence. John studies in Ireland, but I study in U.S. Straight away, I see there should be um, the definite article here. I, I study in the U.S. It should be the U.S. John studies in Ireland, but I study in the U.S. And if you wanted to be really correct, the USA as well. And just thinking, it's, I'm questioning myself if those dots should be there. We call them full stops. Jeff would call them periods. Um, the USA. Um, that's all I can see there, guys. I'm just I'm questioning if the dot, the dots, the full stops should be in between the USA. That's being completely honest there. Okay. okay. Jeff, anything to add? Yeah, the US. I would keep, I would keep the, the full stops. <laughs> um, that's it. That's it. Oh, so, like, a, as a follow up, what is the rule? Because a lot of learners are watching, and like, mm. what is the rule for US, USA? Should those dots be there? Should we have an article? Do we always have uh, to? Have an what do you guys? Can think? I jump in, or, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. just speaking? Okay. Um, so with all acronyms, USA, the UK, um, USSR, we always put the definite article, the. Um, that's really important. Other countries, all the other countries, you can, you can use it without the definite article. Australia, you would never say the Australia, the America, the England. The, the rule is here is always uh, acronyms for countries, USA, United States of America. Uh, it's always with the. There you go. That's it. Okay. I'm oh, sorry, I know Jeff. That, I know you live in Argentina right now, Daniel. So is the Australia that you know now the same as the Australia that you knew when you lived there? Could we use the Australia? <laughs> yes, yes. Good, good, good point, Chris. The Australia, the way you just used it poetically, yes, you definitely could say the Australia that I once knew. Definitely. You're right. You're absolutely right. So in some context of um, talking, you can definitely. Good point, and, Chris. And yeah. Also, also, like if I tell you, you're like, oh, Chris, where are you from? And I can say, oh, I'm a U.S. citizen. A U.S. Okay. So, I mean, Jeff you, or, or Daniel, maybe you can explain those things away for us. I mean, a U.S. citizen is a little different, right? Because now you got an adjective form versus a you sure. know, we're using yeah. as a noun. Um, but yeah, usually it does go in before countries are unions, countries are islands. There's a whole other host of reasons why you want to use the in certain situations, kingdoms. Um, so that's why the United States being a union, that's why you're getting that. So even, cause even if it's not abbreviated, even if it's not abbreviated. Uh huh. And so you'd say the same for the US, the USA? Like, do you live in USA or do you live in the USA? The USA. Because it's still a union. I mean, I'll fight someone. No, super. <laughs> no. Uh, uh, no, I'm jumping in that corner. 
republics and islands, unions, um, they all take it. That's why the Bahamas, the Philippines, etc. Um, but there's always, and the more specific you want to get, then that's when we need the help of our friend, the definite article. As soon as we start becoming specific, we need that help, right? The U.S. today is not the U.S. 100 years ago. And yes, once we make it a noun modifier, then it, the, the rules change. Awesome. So uh, question number seven. My doctor, who is also my mom's best friend, has two dogs. So we have some decisions to make. Is this a restrictive clause or non-restrictive or identifying, non-identifying? So like to comma or not to comma? So if you're viewing this as the doctor, this is assumed information that your speaker and your listener both know who this doctor is. So it's just kind of extra information. Then you want a comma after doctor. And then you want another comma after friend. But if you have multiple doctors and you need to specify my doctor, who is also my mom's best friend. Oh, not the other doctor. We don't like him. We like the doctor who's my mom's best friend. In that case, then you would, would not want to have the comments. So you're left with this very beefy sentence with no punctuation. Yeah, that's all I got. Daniel, anything to add here? I can't say anything wrong with this sentence here, guys. Um, the only thing I can say from British English is the spelling of mom is I still see it. Um, that's the only thing I can comment on. M-U-M, as we say in Australia, New Zealand, and England. Um, but other than that, that's about it, guys. Nothing to say, I'm sorry. Throwing out a challenge here. Who can read the sentence two different ways depending on whether or not we have commas? How does our reading of the sentence or the pronunciation of the sentence change? Who wants to stand up, take on that challenge? If we add in the commas, would you read it differently? So if I, if I have commas first time, my doctor, who's also my mom's best friend, has two dogs. It's a lot of times like when you get those little phrases, not always, but a lot of times the pitch tends to drop because it's kind of just extra information. Um, whereas if you need the information, my doctor, who's also my mom's best friend, has two dogs. So we've got the next question. I'm not sure whom he is speaking. Daniel, you're up. I'm not talking about the continent. I mean, okay. straight away. Uh, I see two things. Okay. Um, two mistakes I see straight up is I'm not sure whom. There should be an E at the end here. Whom? W-H-O-M-E. I could be wrong, but I'm just... Um, whom is speaking to whom? This, this should be the purpose position to I, I know I'm putting my neck out here because I could be wrong with that spelling. I'm just going to tell you what I'm thinking. W-H-O-N-E, speaking to. They're my two guesses. Okay, so two mistakes. Whom, the spelling, W-H-O-M-E, and then uh, speaking to with the preposition, the other two. Uh, a couple things here, yeah. So the, the whom is the part that is obviously getting a lot of attention. Um, there's There's a lot of ways you could do it. If you want to sound awkward but correct, you could say, I'm not sure to whom he is speaking. Um, if you want to sound more natural, I'm not sure. The, the most natural sounding phrase is also non-standard by textbooks. The most natural way to say it is probably, I'm not sure who he is speaking to. But some people's 
heads are going to be screaming at me because like grammatically that looks horrible because who should be whom because it's an object it's an indirect object um and i'm also ending the sentence with a preposition oh my gosh i'm a horrible person but that's the most common way to hear it i'm not sure who he's speaking to that's honestly the what you're going to hear so why why do you think to whom is is correct and speaking to is not correct I don't, to be fair, I don't personally believe that. I just, if you look at like textbooks, a lot of textbooks are going to be like, no, we can't be doing that. But um, yeah, so, you know, a lot of people apply rules from like Latin to English. So they're like, you can't, in Latin, you can't end on a preposition. So in English, you can't end on a preposition. Uh, even though in English, it makes perfect sense too. Whereas in Latin, you, you get into some problems. Um, so I'm, I'm personally okay with not doing that. And then who versus whom? I mean, let's, let's be honest. If we, if we have this class in another hundred, 200 years, there's a very good chance that whom may not even exist anymore yeah. as a form, you know, but it still does exist currently. So it is an object form. It's your indirect object form. So in theory, as indirect object, it should be the form you're using according to standardized grammar. Awesome. Would you guys accept? I'm not sure who he's speaking to. Of course. I'm not sure who he is speaking to. Yes. I'm fine with that. I am too. I, I think again, prescriptive, descriptive, but actually the, the textbooks are catching up. They recognize that there's there's a range. And if we're gonna say to whom, who he's speaking, whom he's speaking to, who who he's speaking to, and then you, there's a range of like the most formal to more everyday English. So as long as we point out to students, it's all acceptable. It's how high you want to go in terms of register. But um, most of us are not going to say whom. Daniel threw the gauntlet for me. I had to Google this quickly. H-O-M-E. I was like, what? <laughs> it is an obsolete form. He actually has a point there. It's it exists, <laughs> but maybe in another century, I don't know, that okay. it's an obsolete form. Um, I've never encountered that, but perhaps in like Old English or Middle English, it's, it was there. <laughs> we all get to learn something. Yes. <laughs> all right, moving on to the next question. $75 is more than $72. Immediately, I see a mistake there with the comparison. T H A N should be spelled not T H E N. Then, spelled here is like after, for example. Um, just if the way I'd explain it to a student is just um, you do that, then you do that. Here, uh, it, it's a comparison. So, you need to be spelling it T H A N. Same pronunciation, just different spelling. Very confusing for a lot of students. This $75 is more than $72. Logically correct. Yes. Okay. <laughs> just thinking of it. Okay. Good, good. good. I, I could have gone there on one of those questions, right? Um, yeah. What do you say? Yep, that's actually the pronunciation, because for me, they would be distinct, but I guess in right in some situations with reductions and things, then could sound like then. Um, yeah, more more than, but regardless, yeah, you need the than because you're comparing. Um, 
you need some dashes. If we're getting technical, you should have like 70-5, 70-2. But I mean, who, who actually uses dashes? People are just, yeah. I was hoping, I was hoping someone would catch that. Yeah. yeah. I got you. And I got you. Technically, guys, I would not call it a dash. Right. I, uh. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. When you when you teach programmers long enough, then they make sure that you know the difference between a dash and a hyphen and yes. those symbols. Dashes are nice to like sort of to add on something there, another thought. It's a nice little tool there in writing, perhaps. Um, I have a quick little challenge here. Why is it correct? asks the student. $75 is plural. Why are we saying is? That doesn't make sense. Dollars is plural. Why can't we say seventy-five dollars are? Shouldn't because we be saying what? Great money. Uh, I'd say straight away to that. Uh, money is uncountable. Um, we, we, we say how much money. We don't say how many. Um, with many, we use for countable. Much is uncountable. Money is always uncountable. Time is uncountable. I've yeah, never. The word here is the word here is dollars, though, isn't it? True. I thought that referred to the same thing, dollars. But is a dollar countable or uncountable? Now you now you've got my head in. The, in the... <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Jeff. Yeah, I mean you're treating as a you're treating as a unit. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not necessarily seventy five each of the dollars. It's that this one group seventy five dollars. It's like a team. You know, the team is at least in American English treated singular. Um, so that's how the view is and that's why it's going to be treated more as a singular anytime we take numbers things we put it into a collective unit we see it as the unit and it becomes one again so you need a thousand a thousand is too much to ask not a thousand are too much but you know a thousand people were there because now i'm counting them right so we could approach numbers and things as individuals or as a collective unit, right? And as you said, American English, um, once we start getting into collective nouns, collective units, we generally perceive them as singular. With one exception, right? Police. Ah, then we get into collective nouns versus aggregate nouns. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So uh, let's see, the last question here is, Please allow myself to introduce Thomas Rogers, the president of Atlantis. Yeah, please allow me. It's going to be much more frequent. I think a lot of times, sometimes people get confused, like, oh, do I use myself? Do I use me? So a lot of times people end up using myself and selves and things like that to kind of just avoid the confusion. But honestly, this is, please allow me to introduce Thomas Rogers commas we have some positives going on look at that so nouns followed by nouns that are describing the noun the first noun um so you'd want a comma after rogers please allow me to introduce thomas rogers comma the president of atlantis roger that daniel have anything to add yeah i agree i'll say the same please um allow me to introduce thomas rogers sounds more natural it's more common the use definitely. So yeah, that's what I have to say. Do you agree that there needs to be a comma there? After Thomas Rogers? Yes. Please allow me to introduce Thomas Rogers, comma, the president of Atlantis. Yes. Yeah. Do you see any other mistakes in the sentence? No. Okay. <laughs>
Challenge, guys. When, asks the student, when do we capitalize P in president? Like I sometimes see it like capital, but sometimes I don't see it capital. When do we use an uppercase P? I'm going to go, I've got a little inkling here. I'm just going to go for it. Okay. Um, when you just say, when you, when you just say the president, stop. Uh, that's when you use capital P, just the president. But if it's, if you're going to continue on, um, it's, it's, it's without the capital P. I imagine that has to do with the position. No, not, <laughs> not every president is the same kind of president. <laughs> <laughs> How much power does the person have? <laughs> power. Yes. <laughs> yeah. What if oh. I say, Mr. President, may I ask a question? Yeah. That yeah. Would be a second name. That would be a couple as, an, of as an address, right? If as we're addressing them. Yes. Madam President, or Mr. Yeah. President. Capital, capital P, yeah. Capital P. President Clinton, President Obama, President Biden. Yes. No. Okay. But technically the president of the United States. Not capital. No, we don't need to. Exactly. So little things. Again, if we're speaking, we don't have to worry about all this, but if we're writing, it might matter. Yeah. If you're writing to the president and sending a letter off to the Oval Office, you want to get it right. <laughs> exactly. So what if Definitely. you just said what if you just said president? Hey, president. <laughs> yeah. Would that be capitalized or not? I'd probably capitalize as a, as a name, like Yo Press. No <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Even if you're dropping the Mister, imagine if you call your your friends like, "Hey, Crook, Hey, Anderson." We're using their last name, so it's similar to that. You're using it as an address. So yes. All right, that's the end of round two. Now our judges will give their comments and award points. Great job to both our challengers. Okay, Jennifer, how do you think round two went? sentences again we threw in some challenges and we kept raising the bar um, with follow-up questions so again the guys were good um, not shying away i actually really appreciate that daniel admitted um, when he didn't have an answer he was uncertain that's something that i've taught in teacher training that you don't have to have all the answers and this is not where you fake it till you make it if you don't know the answer, you don't know the answer because you don't want to risk giving wrong information. And if you just give what's based on instinct, that's fine. But then you say, I, I think, I'm pretty sure that, da, 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 but let me get back to you. Let me follow up. So I appreciate that. I appreciate that kind of genuine, honest approach. When doubts surfaced, he was open and honest about that. And I think that's actually a really good sign. I agree. Um, I really agree with you on that. And, you know, the biggest red flag for me is when a teacher says, that's just the way it is. <laughs> that's just the way we speak, you know? Um, Great answer. Yeah. <laughs> if it's like, at least say, I'm going to go find the answer for you. That would be better than just saying that's just the way it is. Because I remember in my first lesson ever, I gave that answer. And I remember that was the worst answer that you could ever give. So, um, so yeah, I really like that Daniel did that too. And we're yeah. all experienced teachers uh, of some years, probably me more than others because of my age. But even so, I you know I want to even say to those teachers who are possibly listening who are experienced with years under their belt, um, hopefully we too remember that we don't know everything. Um, there are questions that still humble me, or you know comments. But Jennifer, I think you said this, and that's not right. And I'm like, really? It happened about a week ago. There was a comment on a video, and I was like, oh my gosh, 
no, I think I'm pretty certain that I got it. And then I go into my network and I start asking teachers whose opinions I really value when it comes to grammar. And they go to their books and <laughs> we come back and compare answers because I really want to make sure that I can stand behind explanations that I've given to the public. Um, so th this is important. It's a responsibility to answer questions to the best of our ability. And if you can't at that moment, go follow up <laughs> and then come back. Um, that's important. What I loved about um, Jeff here is that he, you know, he's really building his um, reputation and his uh, collection of videos on pronunciation. He's a very good pronunciation teacher, but uh, we saw here that he does have a good, um, very good uh, foundation in grammar and that yeah. came through. And I appreciate seeing that foundation. I think it's a foundation that all teachers need to have, um, no matter what niche they, they choose. Um, it, it's the foundation there. And I love that he sees not just the foundation, it ties into things. So he um, made the connection between grammar and pronunciation. And I appreciate that. Yeah. And a lot of teachers shy away from grammar. They're, they're, they're scared of it, or, or they think that students don't like it or don't want to learn it. And mm -hmm. I don't know if you've had that experience with, mm -hmm. with this, but yeah, I've had people tell me that they just don't want to teach any grammar. And, and I'm like, well, how's that going to work? Like, how are you going to explain why it works the way it works or anything like that? Right. How are you going to give them helpful rules or strategies? So, I mean, life's not all about grammar, but like you said, it's the foundation. And there are opportunities to really bring it in to show why it's um, important. And um, Jeff revealed through his answers that he not only has that foundation, he can make the connections and has thought about those connections. Um, for example, dealing with uh, what kind of communication is it written or spoken and also register. Um, he showed awareness of register, whether something is really formal or informal. That's another way to think with communication. Um, when you think about your audience and your purpose, you should also be thinking about your register, how casual and relaxed you want to be, and perhaps, you know, bending the rules, and then how um, formal you want to be, and perhaps more prescriptive there. Um, I think it came up when I was pushing to see a difference in how you would read uh, identifying or non-identifying clause, and Jeff knew immediately what I was talking about, that your pronunciation changes. So when we're writing, we work with punctuation. When we're speaking, we work with pauses and pitch, and he was aware of that, and I appreciate it. It's good. Yeah. And another interesting moment from round two was whom. Yes, the E. I'm like, because oh. when you first said it, it, I was just like, no, no. And I saw everybody's face was kind of like, really? What? And then you looked it up and you said that it was an old or obsolete form. And yeah. I was, I yeah. But yeah. So yeah, you just don't think you ever know everything. But that said, um, I think Daniel should give some more thought to how he's going to talk about who versus whom, because that question does come up and will come up again. People will ask students like, well, who uses whom? And lower level students need us to clarify again the difference between object and subject pronouns. Um, but again, with register, we need to explain that, you know, who did you write to? is the way that we speak in everyday English. You wouldn't say to whom, 
did you right. write? Um, so it, it's all about register. Can you strand a preposition? Can you use who as an object? Um, and Jeff seemed to have more comfort with the, that kind of a question. Absolutely. And uh, in your real life, do you ever say whom? Rarely. I can't even remember the last time. <laughs> no. The only time I actually use it is if I'm starting an email to a person I don't know, to whom it may concern. That's the only one. Yes. Okay. Yes. Then I admit, because I write letters to the school. Um, when I have to write letters to the school, I follow the format that I was taught way back in junior high, because we did learn proper formatting for business letters, where the date goes, greeting, um, closing signature, and I write to the school to whom it may concern, please excuse my daughter, blah, blah, blah. So whether it's, you know, tardy note, absentee note, um, to whom it may concern. So in writing, register, yes, I've used it this year a number of times. Yeah, I, I can't think of any other situation when I've used it. Definitely not in speech. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I agree with you that Jeff really shined in this uh, in this round, and that um, I, I'm going to have to give him four points on this one, and, and Daniel one point. Okay, I would lean that way, but I still want to um, praise Daniel for the genuine admission because I think it's so important. And to, to remind teachers, don't fake it in this case, when you're trying to give answers and explanations, if you're not certain, be genuine about that. And I appreciate, Daniel, overall, I, and this gets into the next round, but I really do appreciate how genuine he is in his style as a teacher. So for that reason, I'm still gonna stick to three and two. Three for Jeff, two for Daniel. Okay, that's round two. Stay tuned for round three. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel so you don't miss the next round or our future battles. Click subscribe now. Battle English at WeSpeakEnglish.com. Do you agree with the judge's decision? Write a comment under this video and tell us your opinion. Learn more about Battle English at WeSpeakEnglish.com.